It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about good girls. Uh, Before we jump into the episode discussion, we're going to start off with our little segment and maybe I'll actually, (laughs) maybe at some point I'll actually make a little music cue for this, but bum, ba dum bum, clearing out our cue. (laughs) Yay. Is it, is it funnier if I actually make it happen or if I just keep saying I'm going to make music for it and then I never do? I kind of like you just singing it. <laughs> it makes me laugh. I think well, as that long we as it makes you this. laugh. <laughs> yes. So, Kara, so, what's your update? So, since we record these, like, in advance, I feel like everyone is going to know by the time that this one comes out that I have been still watching Lost, uh, (laughs) probably because that we got our little new Insta. Um, Yes, follow us on Instagram at InMyQPod. But I have been watching Lost. This date that we are recording, February 27th, I am on season two now. Um, I'm like partway through it. I'm very entertained. uh, So I'm going to keep going. So... In addition, those of you who have noticed that Kara has been watching Lost, you're less likely to have noticed this because I did, I was tweeting about Lost a little bit as I was watching it on my Twitter. But if you're really eagle-eyed, you might have noticed that I started tweeting about Lost for like a few days and then abruptly stopped because I decided to stop watching the show. I can't, you know, it's one of those unquantifiable things, but just once I got to the end of season one, I sensed that for my personal tastes, the, the personal things I look for in TV, I sensed that I was not going to get the kind of plot payoffs that I was hoping for. Um, I was just getting that vibe of every time there was a, um, a question was almost answered, they would not answer it and they would just give another question. And that's just one, that's something I don't particularly love in TV. I like good questions, but I also like a certain balance of question to answer. So I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this style as it goes on, but I decided to go and look up. I then read the entire plot of Lost on Wikipedia. And when I tell you the amount of times I said, what the fuck out loud while reading the entire plot, I, I'm glad that I stopped. It's not for me. Uh, It had a really good pilot, but the rest of the show, just not for me, but I'm very, I'm looking forward to seeing how Kara reacts to some of the plot things that I read about. Yeah, because I have, I still have absolutely no clue. You will probably see about it on our Instagram. So yeah, you should tune in for that because I can attest as someone who has watched plenty of things with Kara, Kara has very good entertaining reactions. So you're going to want to follow the Insta to see some of that. Yes. As for what I've been watching, um, well, since I quit Lost, I'm still slowly working my way through Scandal. I've been working through I May Destroy You with friends, but I've it's been slow because I have to like coordinate with them. But yeah, that's ooh, powerful. Big snub. Oh, also speaking of what I've been watching recently, I recently finished uh, re-watching the entirety of Good Girls, the first three seasons, which brings us to our topic today. Yeah, I just went back and watched the three seasons that are out already because season four Well, actually, by the time this episode comes out, season four will be in the middle of airing. But as we're recording this, season four is going to premiere like next week, I believe. Um, I think it's March 7th is when it's premiering. So I'm excited to actually tune in for this season because I found this show this past year and I've enjoyed it. Kara, what 
do you know about Good Girls? Um, Kara has not seen it. So what was what's your context coming into this? I knew that there was a group of women mm-hmm. that stole and then they had a lot of money and then they didn't know what to do with it. That yeah. is basically what I knew. Yeah, that's basically what I knew before I started watching it too. I remember seeing commercials for it back when season one was airing, I guess, in 2018. I remember seeing yeah. commercials on TV and I, I saw that Retta and Mae Whitman were both in it. And it was about like women doing crime or something, but also seemed to be a comedy. So I was interested. I was like interested right off the bat because those are all, you know, I like both of them as actors and, you know, crime, drama, comedy with women. That seems up my alley. So I was meaning to watch it for a long time, honestly, but I didn't get around to it until sometime last summer. I actually, I maybe this is TMI, but I was going through um, a bit of a bit of a spell of depression when I first started watching the show. I don't know what made me actually decide to watch it in that moment, but I was in an unhappy place, and then I started watching the show, and it weirdly got me out of the funk because it was like just something to be interested in, and then I could just like watch the whole show and get into it. And so, yeah, I think that maybe that has influenced why. I really liked it so much, but I think it's also a very enjoyable show. It's my type of thing. I can acknowledge that it's, you know, my opinion of it is more favorable because it's in my wheelhouse, my genre that I enjoy, but I, I like it. So I was uh, excited to make Kara watch it so I could have someone else to talk about it with. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I've been meaning to watch it. It was just one of those ones that I like never got around to. So I'm glad that now I can start it. Yeah, whenever you're done with Lost. Yeah, it's going to be after Lost. So a little bit of background on the show. Good Girls was created by Jenna Bands. Jenna Bands is a pretty experienced TV writer, and in particular, she has a lot of experience on Shondaland shows. We'll talk about that more in a minute, if we can see any influences, perhaps, because we've now studied Shondaland and Shonda herself, that whole brand a little bit. Maybe we can see some of that in here. But yeah, Jenna Bands worked as a writer and producer on Grey's Anatomy, also on Off the Map, which was a short-lived series that Shonda produced that was canceled after one season. And Jenna Bands was also uh, very influential on Scandal. She was a co-executive producer and wrote a lot of episodes. In fact, as I've been watching Scandal, I noticed like, hey, written by Jenna Bands, I recognize that name. And also wrote on a couple of other shows, I think wrote a little bit for like private practice and maybe some of the others. So definitely was in that Shondaland sphere. She also had uh, created some other pilots in the past before Good Girls, one called Sea of Fire and another one uh, called The Family, which did get picked up to series, but it only had one season and then it was canceled. So I would say it's like her breakout show as a creator, the most successful one she has so far, but she definitely does have uh, a decent body of work as a TV writer and producer. Also, another fun fact is that Jenna Bands is married to Justin Spitzer, who is the creator and showrunner of Superstore, um, the sitcom, Um, which is fun, especially because anyone who watches Superstore, you know, it's set in the store called Cloud Nine. Um, That's the setting of the show, fictional big box store. Cloud Nine makes some appearances in Good Girls. They did a little, it's not exactly a crossover because you don't see any characters from the other show, but the, the store Cloud Nine appears and good girls it is really cute (laughs) yeah also oh I forgot to mention earlier in her career when she was just a staff writer Jenna Bands also worked on Desperate Housewives which was interesting to me because I haven't like seen much of that show but like aesthetically I feel like that has some things in common with good girls maybe we Um, should watch that one yeah 
But yeah, anyway, she she did work on Desperate Housewives, also got a couple of WGA award nominations for episodes she wrote with Desperate Housewives. So yeah, she'd really been around, been a writer, but Good Girls was like her first major or most successful project, I would say. So how was this show actually created? So Jenna Bands got a deal with NBC to create a pilot and then had to decide what that pilot was going to be. And the inspiration came from she was having a conversation with her mom around the time of the 2016 election, which when I first read that, I was like, well, how is that connected? I was like, this doesn't seem related to the 2016 election at all. But then the explanation starts to make a little sense. Her and her mom were talking about all these basically the the sexism that was very baked into the election with everyone mm-hmm. being so against Hillary criticizing her for everything and being really okay with Trump's misogyny seeing headlines like are is a woman even fit to be commander in chief and basically her and her mom were like just why is this still happening and she, here's a, a quote from from bands It was just bonkers to me that we were having that discussion, but then at the same time, I realized how naive I had been to think that it wasn't a discussion anymore. I'm waking up at 42 and realizing that the discussion needs to be had. So the show is kind of a huge wake-up call for me too, and it's been really fun to explore that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and then she continued on to explain more so of like the fact that like when Hillary lost after like doing everything right, quote unquote, I mean- we're not going to unpack that, but the, the, the fact that that Hillary still somehow lost, she said, I started thinking about this idea that you spend your entire life following the rules and doing everything right and being a good person. And you have this expectation that it sh- life should work out for you. And if it doesn't, what do you do then? That's what made me start thinking about the characters as these rule followers to these different varying extents that are suddenly realizing that life has not turned out the way they planned and they're in terrible, desperate financial situations and driven to do something super bonkers because of it. That they rob a grocery store in the pilot changes the trajectory of their lives and seemed like a fun starting off point for the show. So Hmm. once I read that quote, it kind of clicked for me, this idea of I mean, specifically for women, but just anyone in general, like you've been living your life following the rules because you think it's going to work out. Like we're raised that, oh, if you're a good person, if you follow the rules, everything will work out for you. But that's not always true. So that that is basically where all these three characters are in the pilot. They've been good people, regular people, and they're in really tough situations. And they realize maybe if we break the rules a little bit, we can, you know, we can still be good people, but we can get a little bit more for ourselves. You know, we can get ourselves out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Also, I enjoyed reading this tidbit. When she, when it came time to actually pitch the show, she pitched to a group of all women executives as it happened. Oh, that's cool. And she said it was the easiest pitch of her life because the women got it right away. <laughs> and I mean, can I just say, I wish that upon all of us being able yeah. to, to pitch to executives being able to pitch to people that are the right demographic for your show so they understand it. Mm -hmm. Which is why we should have diversity at all levels of the production chain, including executives. So that was kind of where where the concept came from um, of these women, uh, ostensibly good people that end up robbing a store in in the pilot. And then things just go from there. I have other things. I have other things, but I think my other things can probably come later as we go through the pilot. Anything else you want to say before we jump into the episode? That that like story about the election 
I always I I bring this sketch up a lot that you know that SNL sketch that aired like the week after the 2016 election it was like Dave Chappelle was hosting and it was like it was like um Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock and Kenan Thompson were all there and all of the white people were like oh my god I can't believe Hillary lost and all the black people were like where have you been? Um, so that 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 story kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah, I feel like I bring that sketch up a lot. Yeah, um, well, it's a it's a good point. It's a good point. Also, I will say I will just preface this before we go into the pilot because it is almost a little relevant to the first scene. I I feel like I didn't notice it that much the first time I was watching the show, but now after hearing that quote, I'm like. I can see how this show was in some ways influenced by that like kind of girl power white feminism yeah angle I will say it gets better as it goes on that's not like there were a couple of moments in the pilot where that graded on me a little bit when I was watching it again I was like okay like like yes misogyny exists but also this is a little white feminism yeah I I like (laughs) I flagged a couple of those moments for myself um Um, as I was watching and also putting it in the context of Hillary specifically I'm like "Mm," like like yes and can we clarify that point can we reframe that a little bit Um, yeah but I will I will say as someone who has seen the whole show it doesn't you know it gets better from there it doesn't okay um but yeah that's that was something that once I heard it I was like "Mm, okay now I can see this (laughs) this train of thought a little bit in this pilot all right but it's a good show. So (laughs) looking at the pilot episode, this pilot, it is called Pilot. It was written by Jenna Bands and it was directed by Dean Pariseau. He is, he's directed a bunch of episodes of TV shows, also a handful of movies, including Galaxy Quest and Fun with Dick and Jane, among others. And this pilot aired on NBC on February 26th, 2018, which was three years ago yesterday. So wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Was that like right after the did it air right after the Oscars? Maybe. Because I because don't remember the date of the Oscars in 2018. It 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 oh no, not no. 2018. Bye. I'm stupid. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh episode one of Good Girls. So the show opens with a voiceover. We hear a young girl giving this voiceover over some shots of like seems like a suburban area. Uh, And the girl says, girls today can be anything, CEO, Olympic gold medalist, even Supreme Court justice. We finally broken that glass ceiling and wow, it sure looks good from the top. This is the first place I rolled my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I honestly, again, like I didn't really put much into this when I (laughs) when I first watched it, like also because like I feel like just honestly speaking, the first time I watch an episode of TV or like a pilot, especially like. I'm not fully focused into it for probably like five or 10 minutes. Yeah. The first few minutes will just kind of wash over me the first time. And I'm not really putting a ton of stock into every detail. Um, But then I was, this was the third time I was watching this pilot, I guess, because I watched it once. I just finished rewatching the series and then I watched it today Um, and I was writing it down. So I was like, oh, okay. It's interesting that they open with this narration. I, I didn't love it when I really thought about it, but it's doing a job. Yeah. I'll say the thing later that also really got me. Okay, yeah. (laughs) When we get there. Okay, yeah. So then we have that little voiceover and we don't really know who it is yet. Then we go to um, a shot of a woman. uh, We kind of go into a nice looking suburban house and we see a woman at home played by Christina Hendricks, who Christina Hendricks, you may know from Mad Men. 
uh, among many other things. And she plays Beth, Beth Boland in this show. She appears to be a fairly regular housewife. She's trying to corral her kids. She has four young children and they're all kind of chaotic. They're all over the place. She's trying to get them ready for school. Some of them don't have pants on. Some of them are like chasing each other around. Uh, And she's trying to to get them all ready because she says, mommy has something important to do today. You guys all need to get to school. And then her husband, Dean, appears. He kind of comes down from downstairs. He's not really helping much with the children. He just gets his tie on. He's ready to go to work. Beth basically sends all the children off to get into the car. And she's like, love you, love you, get ready for school. And then Dean goes to say goodbye to Beth. And he says, love you. And she does not reply, love you. She says something about like, oh, is tuna okay for lunch? Tuna fish, (laughs) keep it in the fridge. Yeah. So that's our first clue that maybe they're not in the most happiest part of their marriage. But it, it seems like a fairly stereotypical, normal you know, upper middle class suburban family. Then we see uh, a new group who are in a car and we see Mae Whitman. Uh, Mae Whitman, who you may know from such projects as Avatar The Last Airbender, Parenthood, and Arrested Development, among others, which... Her? Yeah, her. Her in this show. Plant. Egg. Uh, So yeah, Mae Whitman's there. She's driving um, her kid, uh, Sadie. And she's dropping Sadie off at school, but has pulled kind of behind the school because her car's really shitty and it's a little embarrassing. And she asks, do you make your dad drop you off all the way back here? And Sadie, you know, kind of is just like a little embarrassed about it. But then Annie asks, sorry, Annie, Annie is the name of May Women's character. Annie asks, oh, what kind of car does, does his girlfriend drive? She drives a Porsche, right? So... Already right off the bat, we get that the Sadie's parents are not together. Dad has a new girlfriend and Annie does not seem to be a big fan of the new girlfriend, predictably. (laughs) Also, she's pretty young. So you can already see right off the bat that like she seems young to be a parent. She also doesn't seem super parent-like. She's kind of casual in her manner with her kid. Also, the way she was speeding in that car. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Also, as Sadie gets out, she asks Annie for if she can have more lunch money because apparently bullies have been taking her lunch money on a regular basis. But, you know, it's better to just give up the money than to get beaten. So obviously. So then then Annie's like, of course, she digs in her purse, pulls out some cash. But then Sadie kind of pauses and is like, I don't want to leave you without any cash. So it seems like even though she's a kid, she understands that you know, Annie doesn't have a lot of money, but, but Annie's just like, Hey, who's the adult here and hands the money. And so that's a, that's a running phrase in this episode. Who's the adult here, which is makes a lot of sense for Annie and Sadie's relationship because Annie doesn't always seem like an adult. So it's kind of uh, ironic that that's her little catchphrase. (laughs) So that's, that's our introduction to their relationship. Then we actually return to the little voiceover that we had from the beginning of the episode. We see that it's a young girl and she's in a classroom uh, giving like a report or a presentation or something. And there's a group of students and also parents watching her. So she continues. Also, she has an oxygen tank um, that she's hooked up to, but she's in the middle of this speech and she continues. Why aren't there any of these awesome women in my history books? They say behind every great man, there's a great woman. Well, I say that's some bull right there. None of these nasty women I just told you about stood behind men. They stood right beside them. So we got to get it done ourselves, ladies. Am I right? 
And then we see her parents in the audience. We see um, their names are Stan and Ruby. And Ruby is played by Retta. Retta, who you, I'm sure you all know from Parks and Rec as Donna Meagle. And Stan and Ruby, they start cheering for her. They're like, yeah, you say it. They are, you know, cheering on their daughter. Very lovely, supportive parents. But everyone else in the room is kind of like, doesn't know how to react. Here's Um, where I have to say my thing. Yeah. This, okay. So when I heard this voiceover, I didn't expect it to be a little black girl saying these things. And I remember when it, when I like found this out, I was like, I was like, Hmm. This whole speech felt very white feminism. Yeah. Yeah. I also was like, hmm. And then like, I get like, it was one of those things where it's like, I got, I like understood Retta being a supportive parent, but I just can't picture a black woman telling her child to like encouraging her child to say certain things like that. Yeah. It's also very similar to, I don't know if you've already seen the clips going around Twitter of this, but I yesterday I watched the first episode of that new Netflix show Jenny and Georgia and the the first episode also has a very similar scene where the main the daughter character uh Jenny she's mixed race she's half black half white and she comes to her first day of class in a new school and uh the English teacher's a white guy and he's being like really an asshole and racist and condescending like oh like like will you be able to keep up in this AP English whatever he's being an asshole but then she goes off on this whole rant about like this curriculum has like you know there's 16 books on this curriculum and 14 of them are written by white men we need more like women and uh people of color on this reading list which is like all a good point but also like the tone of it was so Something about the tone of it was like so white feminist. And also then some other clips from the show. I haven't watched any more of it, but some other clips from the show have been circulating on Twitter that are like very suspect things. And they have been written by white women to be put in the mouths of characters that are not. This is why you hire black writers. Exactly. It's like, oh, my word. A couple of things that Retta said throughout this episode. I was like a black woman wouldn't say this. Um, Yeah, so it goes to show the value of hire people who can can write these experiences authentically. Like, obviously, we want to not be limited to only writing characters that are like ourselves, especially like white people. We don't want to only write white characters, but you have to collaborate. You have to get the authentic voices. Like, you also can't just start writing characters that are not like yourself, but write them so they still sound like yourself or write them so they don't sound like real people. Yeah. So that's maybe some not perfect choices there, but I feel like the show does get better in that regard um, as it goes on. (laughs) But yeah, that was, especially after reading the context specifically being about Hillary, I was like, oh, that makes me look at this speech a little differently. (laughs) I'm glad you told me that after I watched it and not before. (laughs) (laughs) It's 2021 now. And like, so you have to imagine she was writing this around 2016 and then it finally got produced and aired at the beginning of 2018. So like some time has passed, like, but still, you know, we Mm -hmm. should, we should look at it critically. We should point out where things can be done better. Anyway, so that, that is the first scene, but I feel like the main takeaway from this scene is like Ruby and Stan are supportive very supportive of their daughter I also liked the moment where she's trying to light the book on fire um and she like has I was like for one thing I was like who gave this child a lighter and she's like trying to light it and no one's doing anything and eventually the teacher does the teacher is just like okay (laughs) 
So yeah, also at the end of this, Ruby says she has to go leave to get to work and Stan's like, oh, you have an you have an early shift at work. And Ruby's like, yeah, um, yep, I have an early shift or something like that. I just figured we could use the extra money. So then the next scene is we see Annie's shitty car and we see Beth's minivan and we see also Ruby's car. They all drive into this grocery store parking lot and they meet up, they pull up next to each other and they get out. Uh, these three different women that we've seen in their independent lives, they all get out and they like, you know, nod, they greet each other and they're like, okay, so are we really doing this? And they go, yep. And then they pull out a bunch of guns and ski masks from the trunk of the car. They walk right into the grocery store and they say, this is a robbery. Everybody get on the floor. This is (laughs) like the politest this was the politest entrance to a robbery I have ever seen. <laughs> yep, yep. And we we get some more of it later. I would say it's it's a very polite robbery. It was so <laughs> But yeah, so that's a good that's a good hook. Basically, that's our teaser. So it gets you to like the essential premise of the show. If you were going to describe this pilot, it's basically like three women who have, you know, I wouldn't call them housewives necessarily, but three, three mothers who come from fairly normal lives decide to rob a grocery store. Kind of the premise right there. But now we're wondering why, you know, like why, why would these three normal seeming women be robbing this store? So act one immediately tells us it's three weeks earlier. So we're going to back up and get a little explanation. So our first shot three weeks earlier is we get a nice little uh, point of view of Beth getting a Brazilian wax. (laughs) So the waxer makes a comment about how it's been a while and there's a lot to to do (laughs) down there. Oh, my God. And then Beth says it's been a long time since she had SEX with her husband. So I one thing I like in the dialogue is particularly for, for Beth, the the way she speaks is so much of like a she's a mother to four children and sometimes she still talks like that even when she's not around her kids. Yeah. Which is a, a funny touch. And then the waxer says, maybe he just can't find it. <laughs> that, that got me. That got me. Um, but then Beth is like, no, 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 no. It's just like, we've been really busy. He's got work. I've got the kids. There's stuff on the DVR. So like, you know, we're just, we're in a little dry spell. So again, we know that Beth and Dean's marriage, it seems like it's not super thriving, but you know, maybe it's just regular couples that are married for a long time. They are not always super sexually active so but then an attendant kind of comes in from the front desk and tells Beth that her credit card has been declined and that is clearly a surprise to her she was not expecting that to happen so uh uh-oh then we cut to uh Dean in his office at work and he is in the middle of uh fondling a young woman on his desk and then also at the same time there's uh there's a tv in his office playing a commercial for his car dealership Boland Motors also this was briefly in the in the scene earlier at their house there was another brief clip of this commercial I forgot to mention Um, but basically it's a really terrible cheesy commercial it's like all of the worst you know of those local car dealership commercials you could imagine and um the girl that he's currently canoodling with is also in the commercial heavily featured and she's uh, like watching it rather than really paying yeah. attention to yeah, what's she's going watching on. herself on the commercial and she's like mouthing along with her lines oh my god she's dedicated yeah and then she she asks out loud she asks dean like oh do you think i could make it in la as an actor so <laughs> clearly clearly that's kind of her goal she's got a goal in mind we like a girl with a goal I liked his response oh what did he say like 
He said, you're going to win all those fancy awards like a people's choice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good, too. Also, this this scene reveals to us for the first time that this is set in Michigan. That is where we are at, which I don't know. I kind of like that because I just I don't I can't think of any other show that's set in Michigan that I've seen. So yeah, there's just... not. I feel like I don't see a lot of stuff that's in the Midwest. Yeah. So it's just kind of nice that it's not one of those same few cities we're always seeing. And then basically just Dean continues to go canoodle with her a little bit more. So we know now why maybe why their marriage isn't doing so great. <laughs> then we uh, next scene, we see Annie and she's at work at a grocery store, which if you were really paying attention, you would notice it's the same store from the flash forward. But she's a cashier at the grocery store. She's bending over to like grab something and it reveals she has a lower back tattoo. And then her boss comes over and is kind of eyeing the tattoo for a minute. But then she stands up and she's uh, she greets him. His name or his nickname is Boomer that everyone calls him. And he's played by David Hornsby, who you may know as Rickety Cricket from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, It took me until like the episode was almost over to realize that that's who that was, even though I like knew I knew him. But it took the whole time. It caught me by surprise, but he's very, he's so good at playing this type of character. He just makes your skin crawl, but in a good way, in a funny way. So anyway, his name is, his nickname is Boomer. I don't know that they, I I don't think they ever actually explain what his nickname means. At first I thought that might be his last name, but it's actually not. His, His name is Leslie Peterson, as you learn later in the show, but his nickname is Boomer. I don't really know why. That's so interesting. And basically, he comes over, and David Hornsby is really good at playing this type of character. You kind of could already tell he's a creep before he even says anything. <laughs> but it was then the, he, yeah, it was like the way that he was just, he like stared at her tattoo for yeah. too long. But then he asks her if she'll go to his like church bring a friend night tonight. So it basically sounds like he's asking her on a date, but like a really weird and creepy date. And she <laughs> says no. And then he calls her a stuck up bitch. <laughs> but then he's like, haha, just kidding. That was the old boomer, but born again boomer wouldn't say that. So basically, we get this sense of like, he's like a skeevy, creepy guy, but now he's apparently found Christianity and he's born again and he's into yeah. church, which is just such a weird sum of parts, but it's like so specific and creepy that it really works for being an unsettling character, which is what he's meant to be. Then basically she's like, you know, like, what, what do you want? Like, you're my boss. We're at work. And then he pulls out a bill and he's like, what's this? And she goes, I don't know. It's a a $50 bill. But then he explains that it is actually a fake. It's a counterfeit bill. And he found it in her register at the end of the last shift. And then he basically yells at her for not using the stupid little water check pen, whatever you call it, the little pen they use to draw on the bills to see if it's real. And he basically just lectures her about like security and like you have to check and this and that. But you can tell for him it's more about a power trip than it is about actually caring. And Annie makes some comment about like security. Like we don't have any security at this place. And like she gestures over at their security guard who is just this like timid looking guy who's like reading a comic book or something. And he just doesn't seem very intimidating at all. Um, And he's pretty young too. But then basically Boomer is just like, I'm taking this out of your paycheck. And then Annie is very upset because it's a lot of money for her and she clearly doesn't make a ton at this job and we already could tell from her car and the thing with the lunch money that she's not rolling in it so it really sucks we're starting to see like this is uh three weeks earlier we're starting to see kind of the tough circumstances that are existing for each of these characters 
So then we go to Ruby. She's in a the waiting room of a doctor's office, and it is like a very crowded waiting room. There's a ton of people in there. There's like paperwork everywhere. Like you know, everyone's like trying to talk, and like it it seems like it's very busy, and like there's just a lot of demand on this doctor's office. And yeah. it kind of seems like one of those like. It kind of seems like a freeze or sort of like planned parenthood clinic yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, definitely like a, a more open access type of clinic. So like a lot of people are there because they need it. So and then when she gets called into the doctor again, like the doctor's desk, like there's files everywhere. He's doing like two or three things at the same time. Like there's assistants coming in and talking to him. Like there's a lot going on. And Ruby's trying to talk to the doctor about her daughter Sarah because we we already saw in the other scene she had an oxygen tank so like implying that she was sick somehow but then in this scene we learned that she's got kidney issues one of her kidneys is failing and the other one is probably about to fail soon and Ruby's basically trying to talk to this doctor about like she's done some research on the condition and like looked into some options that might be useful that she wants to ask about but the doctor is like so distracted and he's trying to talk to someone else trying to talk to a nurse and he's trying to look at some files and like he's not listening to her at all so ruby like she like tries to be polite for a few minutes and then she's like oh my god can you please listen to me and then the doctor finally pauses and he basically says oh you're you're asking about this this drug that you read about ecluzumab it's true that it's a really good drug and it has good results for kidney function, but it also costs $10,000 a month out of pocket. And so he kind of was like, I was assuming that was not an option for you, which is like, that hurts, but also like, it's, yeah, we can, we can tell by like her face that like 10 grand clearly is a lot. It's not a casual thing for them, but she says, you know, I'll talk to my husband. We'll see what we can do. So even if it is a lot of money for her, it's like, she will do anything for her daughter. She's going to try and make it work no matter what, because your kid is sick. You, you have to do something. You have to do everything you can. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Also this scene, that always just makes me sad because like the state of yeah. healthcare. Oh my God. In our I'm country. So upset. It's like this doctor's not being great, but also like, he's not, you know, trying to be an asshole. It's just like, there's so many people that mm-hmm. need help that are sick. And because of the way our system works, like, they are not getting the help they need and it's all just so expensive and it's so it's so, yeah, so scary it's like it should not be this way yeah also um, like I mean it's terrifying as an individual but also this is another thing that terrifies me about having kids like if your kid is very sick and you just literally can't afford the kind of treatment that they need to yeah. save them and like you know it exists but it just is so absurdly expensive that you can't afford it that's terrifying mm-hmm. I could yeah. like that would be so this, scary to be a parent this scene made me so sad yeah yeah I guess I can kind of insert this here. So I was blown away. Um, I mean, obviously I knew Retta from Parks and Rec and I was a big, you know, big fan, loved her performance there. And so I was interested in this show in part because of her. And like, I knew she was funny already from Parks and Rec, but I was also really impressed at the dramatic chops that she shows in this show, not just in this pilot, but also throughout the show. She goes on to show like a really great range. And I was like, I, I have to say I'm the most impressed with her performance probably out of any of the the characters. I mean, they're all very good, but, and also Jenna Bands basically said the same thing when she was pitching, she actually had Retta in mind for this character. And she basically, she knew in her head, she already knew, I don't know if she'd like worked with Retta before or not, but basically she knew that Retta had these strong dramatic chops and was like, I want 
to give her, like, I want to put her in this project where she can show it, you know, so other people will see it because she knew that she would blow everyone away. And I have to say, I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, So I want to thank them for writing this role for her and casting her because it's, I think she does a fantastic job. Yeah. So that's basically, we then have seen the three of them, Beth, Annie, and Ruby, all, they're in tough situations. Their lives are not going totally swimmingly. This feels very reminiscent of all of the all of the financial issues we saw Walt having in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Like it's like yeah, they just everything just keeps getting piled on top. Yeah. So it's like this is doing a good job of showing us that these three are very desperate. Yeah. Again, kind of like what we talked about when we when we talked about Breaking Bad is like people don't do crime unless it seems like the best option. So yeah. what what this pilot or what the first half of this pilot really has to do is explain to us why these three women decided that robbing a grocery store was the best option for them in this moment. And it does. So the first part of it is explaining why they need the money so badly. So now we have a, a reason. Well, actually, we haven't totally gotten to Annie's reason yet, but we can already see that Annie's like, like she's not doing great money wise. Yeah. Uh, but she has a more specific reason that's coming in a little bit. So then we are at a diner and we see Ruby works at this diner. She's in uniform. She is uh, working as a waitress and Beth and Annie are sitting at a table, but then Ruby comes over and kind of sits with them for a minute. So this is actually the first scene where you learn how they know each other Mm -hmm. Um, because we saw all these scenes of them apart. And then we saw the one scene of them robbing the store, but you don't really know how they're, how they know each other at all. So actually I don't, it might not be fully revealed in this scene, but basically we, we find out that they're friends. They do have an existing yeah. relationship and they're basically chatting. You know, Ruby pauses her work for a minute to, to talk to them. Beth is explaining to both of them that apparently Dean has maxed out all of their credit cards. And she's a little bit concerned about that because he didn't like tell her anything was going on. And apparently he spent it all on lingerie, which is also <laughs> suspicious. But then they're like, maybe it's like an anniversary gift for you or something. And she's like, I don't know. I I hope so. Like, maybe it's presents for me. But this is still a little concerning. Yeah. She's like, do you think he's cheating? And then Ruby's like, don't nobody want Dean. Which is, I was like, <laughs> that's valid. He seemed yeah. pretty eh to yeah. me. Uh, just a word on Dean, which is, this is, uh, I would say I had that same thought at first when I watched the show of like, oh my God, he's just the worst, the most like out of even out of all the like boring slash skeevy husbands on TV, I found him pretty repellent at first. But Matthew Lillard, who plays him, I was very shocked to find this out because I didn't make this connection. He's shaggy. from Yeah. Scooby-Doo. Oh my God. When you said that just then, because I was looking at him and I was like, he is so familiar, but I don't know why. And then you just said his name and I was yeah. like, oh my God, it's shaggy. He's shaggy from the live action movie in the 2000s. And he also has voiced shaggy in a bunch of animated adaptations as well. Obviously, I don't think he's like the original from way back in the day, yeah. but like a lot of the more modern animated scooby-doo things he has voiced shaggy which is just like he does have a certain kind of like stupid charm about him mm-hmm. that makes him a little bit likable in some moments but also man this character is just so i did find i will say like in terms of like repellent husbands i found him funny at least yeah yeah he has <laughs> I, as the show goes on as you watch more i'm intrigued to see how your opinion changes because there are Oh, there's definitely some stuff that will make him more repellent to you. But on the other hand, there's also, he has some more lovable moments down the line. So he's an interesting walk the line kind of character. Mm -hmm. 
sorry, where was I? Oh, then they get distracted from their discussion because Annie points out that there's an old guy at the other end of the restaurant that is about to steal Ruby's tip from off the table. And Ruby's like, you know, that he's just an old guy. He's not going to steal it. But then she walks over and she grabs it. And the dude was like, he was actually about to take it. <laughs> and she's like, shady SOB. Because like, how low do you have to be to go steal a waitress's tip oh of like God. a couple of dollars off the table? That's wow. So um, I say as we're watching this show about people that steal things. <laughs> but like, steal, come on, stealing from below minimum wage workers that live off of tips, like that's a special kind of, you no. know. Mm-mm. So anyway, um, she comes back over and Annie's like, yeah, I could tell I have a sixth sense about robberies because we get robbed at, at the grocery store all the time. And then she basically just talks about how like people always try and rob the store and like it should be really easy because there's all these holes in the security. And like as long as you're an idiot, if you like plan for these things and you don't park out front where the cameras are, like it would be so easy. And then Ruby (laughs) jokes, she's like, okay, so so when are we doing this? When are we robbing the store? And like because you've seen the teaser, we're like, are they are they are they really just jumping into it right now? And Annie's like, yeah, I already bought a bunch of semi-automatics and uh, filed off the serial numbers. But then her and Ruby start laughing and, you know, it turns out they were just joking and trying to freak out Beth and, and it worked. Beth was really <laughs> freaked out because she thought they were serious, but they all basically just laugh it off. So they've teased the idea of stealing the store, but they're not at a place yet. They're not at a place yet where they are desperate enough to do this, which I think mm-hmm. this is a really important beat for the pilot because it introduces that idea, but it also shows us like, it's not that casual, you know, it comes up, yeah. but like they have to get pushed a little bit further before they would actually do that. Yeah, they do recognize it is ridiculous. I would like to point out, this is where I realized that they are robbing the grocery store that Annie works at. Yeah. And my brain was like, why the fuck would you rob the store in which you work? Because you know, you know it so well. Yeah. Because that if they was, walk into another thing. store, they don't have the same intelligence about it. Yes, that was like, so like, I get it. But Mm -hmm. also I was like, something's gonna go wrong. I mean, because (laughs) it's the grocery store at which she is employed. Yeah, I I will say, I'll say something later when we get to that part of the scene about which part specifically I think was foolish. But like, I get I get why fundamentally it's because like, she already knows the weak points in this store and she already knows the security. So yeah, like that makes sense. Anyway, Oh, yeah. So right after this, right after when they're joking about it, we get a cut back to the flash forward when they're actually in the middle of robbing the store. So basically, Beth and Ruby um, are threatening the customers. They have guns and they're they're like pointing them at the customers, telling them to stay on the ground. And then they call for the manager. They're like, where the hell's the manager? And no one's speaking up. And <laughs> there's like where they're too the polite they were yeah. too polite they were too the polite issue. and then finally finally Beth like screams if somebody doesn't get me the goddamn manager I'm gonna start capping people which is very hilarious coming from you know us having seen Beth and knowing who she is so then eventually one of the employees that's on the ground kind of points over and we see Boomer and he's like crawling and trying to like squirm away he's trying to get away <laughs> But then Annie kind of goes over to him and is like, take me to the vault. And she like points the gun at him. So this is where I think she was stupid. Yes. She should not have been the one to go with Boomer because even if not for the thing that happens later, like, was she not worried that he would recognize her voice? Yeah. That was the other two should have gone with him to the vault because why not? That was my biggest thing where I was like, why did they not switch (laughs) off? I don't understand this. Yeah. So that, I think that was their stupidest moment. Poor planning. 
So yeah, so that is, I believe that's the first act break, or I guess the the break after act one. Um, it was a little hard to tell because it was on Netflix, but I'm pretty sure that was the break. So then we come back and then we get a title telling us it's one week earlier. So now we were three weeks before the robbery. We got another flash and now we're back to one week before the robbery. So we see Annie at work. She's at the grocery store again. And then a different guy comes up to her and basically she's like, what are you doing here? And he says, you wouldn't return my calls. And she says, she basically tells him to leave. She's like, I'm working. I, I can only talk to customers. I can't talk to my ex. So we, we figure out that um, this is her ex and it, uh, he is Sadie's father. I don't know if actually we get his name here, but his name is Greg. I'm just going to okay. say that. I think she said it a little bit later. I yeah. didn't write it down. She for probably some said reason. it at some point, but yeah, Greg. So he, he is the father of her child, but they are not currently together. And she tries to ignore him. And it's basically like, go away if you're not a customer. So he, he like puts a candy bar down on the conveyor belt. He's like, fine, I'm a customer. Um, that was like my favorite part of the grocery store as a child. My dad would let me get a candy bar at the end. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> but this grocery store visit is not that fun because he puts the candy bar down and then he says, Nancy and I are suing you for custody. <laughs> Which, whoa, boy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, way to lead into it, sir. Yeah, I mean, in his defense, it sounds like he has been trying to call her for a long time and she's not yes. been answering. So, you know, you, sometimes you just have to cut to the chase. It's true. It felt very much like he knows her well enough yeah. that he was like, I just got to say it. There's no other way this is going to happen. Yeah. So so he drops that. And then she's clearly a little bit rocked by that. But she just sticks to like her cashier script. She's like, OK, will that be credit or debit? Whatever. She just sticks to to the, the stuff she has to say. Um, but then he continues talking and he's like, look, you know, we can we can provide a better life for her. We shouldn't just stick to all of these things that we decided when we were 17. So basically, if we didn't already get this, we find out that they were 17 when they had a kid. And so, you know, probably like a high school dating scenario. Basically, Greg starts talking about how, you know, it sounds like him and Nancy are more stable financially and they could uh, send Sadie to private school and also get a therapist to maybe help with the bullying stuff. But Annie's kind of resistant to that. She's like, she doesn't need private school. She doesn't need a therapist, like, you know, kind of getting defensive. But then uh, Greg also says that uh, Sadie's computer has been broken for for weeks. She needs a new computer, but she didn't want to tell you because she knew that you would freak out. And then he like drops some cash on the conveyor belt. So he's basically like you like go buy her a new computer and like say it's from you. So it's like tense. And then he leaves. So like they do a good job of painting the scenario where like Greg doesn't seem totally evil. Like it yeah. seems like he has good intentions and wants the best for his kid. And like he like doesn't necessarily want to cut Annie out of Sadie's life but he's like look if you can't provide a stable good life for her then you know we got to do something yeah I couldn't I couldn't completely fault him because he very much did just seem like I'm doing what I think is best for my kid but it like it's one of those things where it's like you you feel bad yeah Um, yeah you do feel bad because like he kind of has a point but also like taking taking the kid completely away from Annie maybe not the best solution so yeah yeah. so now this is this is the crux of it for Annie she's being told that she's gonna lose her kid basically because she doesn't have enough money but she also doesn't really have money to fight this case because it's really expensive to get a good lawyer and to fight these things so basically then we cut back to the three women all together. I believe this was at, I didn't write down where this was, but I think it was Beth's house. Yeah. 
So they're at Beth's house. Yeah. Was uh and- was Ruby there yet? Oh, actually, no. Ruby's not there yet. It's just Beth and Annie. Yeah, you're right. So this is actually the scene where um we find out that they're sisters because mm-hmm. they reference something about mom and dad. So this is the first moment that we find out Beth and Annie are sisters. Um, yeah. And they're just also longtime friends with Ruby. So basically Annie just comes in and she's all of a sudden really excited about robbing. She's like, yeah, we should totally rob this store. And Beth's like, are you crazy? Like, what's going on? I thought this was a joke. But Annie's like, it's a totally victimless crime because like the store mistreats us anyway. They, you know, they're insured. They'll get the money back. Like no one's actually going to get hurt. So if we just, if we just like rob the store once, we can get the money we need and then we can be happy. (laughs) Which is, like, maybe a little short-sighted, but. (laughs) Also, throughout this, Annie's, like, drinking a soda, and then the kid comes in, one of the kids, and is like, oh, can I have a soda? And then she's like, no, because I'm a grown-up, so I can have a soda. Yes. But uh, then also Beth takes it pop. Oh, yeah, because they're in the Midwest. (laughs) But then also, like, as Annie's, like, drinking, Beth just subtly, like, puts a coaster (laughs) underneath her soda. So (laughs) I really like that moment. But then Beth basically is like, okay, like, we can't rob a store because if we get caught, you will, you're a mother, you will lose your child if you get yeah. convicted of a crime. But it's then like, Annie, then he really has a case to take Sadie away. Well, yeah. But then this is when Annie kind of confesses what happened to Beth. She says that Greg is suing her for full custody. So basically, if she doesn't have the money to fight this case, she's going to lose Sadie anyway. So mm-hmm. this is, I think, where like it kind of clicks in kind of like with Breaking Bad it's like it's not just enough that he needed money it's that he needed money and he's gonna die anyway so he has nothing to lose by cooking meth and here it's like she's gonna lose her daughter if she doesn't do this robbery so it's like she has nothing to lose or at least you know not as much to lose (laughs) so that's how it seems like it's maybe almost a good idea but they're still not quite there yet you know Annie's there but the other two are not so uh Annie's kind of a little bit annoyed at Beth for not supporting her and she calls her a Stepford mom without a pulse and you know basically saying like you are just acting out this whole you know housewife family thing but you're not even into it like look who you married you know basically pointing out that her marriage with Dean is not working out and Beth's like I don't know like marriage marriage takes work you know they're not really trying as it seems (laughs) well I mean they are trying it's just they're trying their hardest and it's still not yeah that great is the thing but then the little the commercial comes back on the tv in the other room the Bolin Motors comes on again and then the girl um Amber Amber is her name she's like going through her narration in the commercial and Annie laughs (laughs) who'd that chick have to blow to get on tv And then something clicks for Beth, and then she says, hey, uh, can you call a babysitter for the kids? So then Beth and Annie go to the lingerie store that Dean had his uh, credit card charges at. And basically she comes in, like, with the card. I bought something on this card, but I can't remember what it was. Can you tell it to me? And they're like, well, without a receipt, we, we can't do that. That's, like that's not what we do and then she's like yeah but I bought it I just I really want it and they're like why don't you remember what you bought yeah 
<laughs> so they're kind of just like not really buying it. But then Beth makes up this story um, and this comes out very smoothly. She makes up this whole story about she had a friend who got in an accident and now she's in a coma and she had this underwear that Beth got for her that she really liked, but they had to cut it off of her. So now she wants to get a new set of underwear, but she doesn't want to ask the woman's parents because that would be really embarrassing. It's yeah, much sorry. funnier, but also sad when you see what the underwear is. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it, like it comes out really smoothly. Like Beth comes up with this really elaborate story right off the bat. And then Annie's kind of there just like chiming in, like encouraging. And the woman behind the register, like you can tell she's like not totally buying it, but she's like, I don't want to deal with this. So she's just like, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go find it what it is. And then she comes back with this like tiny sparkly thong. And then Annie's like, okay, yeah, I guess this, this does not look like it's a gift for you. <laughs> oh no. Oh, so that's a little sad. So basically that's kind of the confirmation of the thing that she was suspecting all episode, but this is kind of, she can't ignore the evidence anymore. It seems like Dean is cheating on her. Yeah. Um, and we already know that we, the audience already know, but now Beth knows. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a blow for her as well. So then see them back at home and Beth's kind of just like lying on the couch and she's like totally like zoned out dead, like not reacting. And Annie's like offering to get her a drink and, you know, trying to take the edge off. And then uh, Ruby walks in. She's like, guess who found the caramel bugles at Kroger? Let's watch the Bachelorette. Because <laughs> she yeah. doesn't know what's going on. And fun fact, fun fact that I learned from researching, that line was apparently improvised by Retta. I love it. (laughs) She had some sort of line about like, oh, isn't the Bachelorette on? But then she added the thing about the bugles. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I also loved the Bachelorette reference. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So like for her, she's like, it's Bachelorette night. But then she doesn't know that this has happened. And then Beth just like gets up and just like silently goes over and hugs her, hugs Ruby. And Ruby like, like she hugs her, but she's like, I have no idea what's going on. So she looks at Annie and Annie starts mouthing, Dean is having an affair, but she mouths it several times, but like Ruby can't make out what she's saying so Annie starts okay I can't I remember that you guys can't see me um she starts doing charades some like hip thrusting and then some uh finger in the the o of the other fingers kind of miming and then finally (laughs) finally Ruby gets it and she's like oh shit Mm -hmm. and then yeah so then she's like ready to comfort Beth of course because like they're all I like this scene because it really shows how they're all like there for each other when they need it you know they're both trying to be there for Beth and then Annie's like how about a screwdriver for a cocktail and then Beth says how about a sledgehammer <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to her in Dean's office like his home office or whatever smashing everything up with a sledgehammer loved um, it yeah and so they just was, sat and watched her that was pretty and they, fun. Were, like, they were like yeah that's the next logical step yeah smash it mm-hmm. up with a sledgehammer so that's pretty fun and then she's she's just smashing shit up and they're cheering her on. But then she pauses because she finds some papers like in his desk and then she pauses to look at them. And it's like, uh-oh, what did she just find? So then the next scene, we just cut to um, Beth sitting in the dining room in the dark. And it's, so it's clearly much later that night. Um, she's sitting in the dark and then Dean gets home. She is drunk and basically Dean is like, why are you sitting there in the dark? And Beth says, I guess I'm just used to it after 20 years. 
<laughs> which is a little bit cheesy, but also I got to give it to her because she's having a pretty rough moment. So she deserves to, to do a little dramatic line there. <laughs> so basically she just calls him out. She says like, I know you're cheating. And that's like, you've been lying to me for years and years. And she shows the papers and she's like, basically reveals that he took out three mortgages on the house without telling her. He took out advances on all of their credit cards. So basically he has ruined their entire financial situation, spent all of their money, gotten them wildly in debt without telling her at all. This is a PSA, I feel, that you should be way more involved in your finances than Beth was, I feel. Yeah, and I feel I like, like she she gets mad at her. Like, the thing that I like about Beth is that I feel like she kind of takes responsibility for it. She's like, I mean, she's mad at Dean, obviously, but I feel like she also feels that it's her fault a little bit for, for not noticing sooner. And then yeah. she very much takes control over trying to solve it. But yeah, oh my God, three mortgages. Oh my three. God. I was so shook by this. This like gave me this like I was I was like, I can't do this. this How is could you much. even spend that much money without telling your spouse is what I want to know. But like, apparently it sounds yeah. like they don't really go into the details, but it sounds like it was a combination of spending money on Amber, but also putting money into supporting his business because yeah. this gets kind of shown more in later episodes, but like Dean isn't as good of a salesman as he thinks he is. And his car yeah. dealership is not as successful as he acts. But like it, it looked is. really flashy in there. Yeah. So basically it's implied that like he was putting a lot of money into making it really flashy into things that he thought would help the business grow, but they were not successful. So he was like making investments into the business, but it was not paying off. So like, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you. Like he starts to apologize and that Beth is just like not really caring about the apology. She's just like, are we going to lose the house? And he's like, no, no, I don't think so. No, I don't know. Maybe, um, pro- probably not. Okay. Maybe, maybe we might lose the house. <laughs> it's just like, so pathetic. It's like, you hate him so much, but you also- I did laugh at this though, yeah. just because his face was just kind of like, he's, as he's he was like, trying oh, to be like, no. Maybe. He he does this thing with his face where he's like, oh, maybe, maybe we will. <laughs> Basically, he starts like crying and like begging for her forgiveness, but Beth is just like stone cold. Like, and She's that's... like, I will fix it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, now you can see kind of a fire is lit under her. She needs to take action and take this into her, her own hands. Yes. So and again, a PSA, please. Yeah. Pay attention um, to your finances. Yeah. Pay attention to your finances. Also, like, just talk to your spouse, I guess. Yeah. Because, well, okay. I guess Breaking Bad, that it's not like that could have been solved if they talked to each other. Because, um, yeah, no. like, he still has cancer. <laughs> that part wouldn't be solved. But, <laughs> but things do seem to be made worse by the fact that they don't communicate very well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, at least Skylar and Walt had that credit card conversation. They, like, actually talked about it. They've talked about nothing. Well, it seemed like Skylar was the one really in charge of the finances for their family, honestly. But, yeah. So, Beth is set into action by this. So, she immediately then goes to Ruby and Annie and says, we're going to rob the store. Let's do it. So, she's now sold. And Annie is excited because she was already (laughs) there. But Ruby's a little bit like, are we sure about this? Because, like, we know that she needs money, but also... As you will learn, if you have not already gathered, Ruby's kind of the sane one in the group. She's usually the voice of reason. Um, they they very much have this dynamic going on. Oh, kind of like the thing that I mentioned with Dairy Girls. 
Annie's like the id. She's kind of, she wants to like go after ideas right away. Like she thinks of something and she wants to do it. She's a little impulsive. Ruby's the uh, super ego. She's more reserved, wants to think things through, think about the consequences. And then Beth is like the ego. She can kind of skew either way, depending on the situation. So Mm -hmm. they have that dynamic going on. But then basically they talk they talk about it and like you know Beth points out that we all need money Beth has to get out of the debt that Dean caused Annie needs to pay for lawyers and Ruby needs it for the kidney meds to save her child's life so that's a pretty damn good reason and then Beth says no one else is going to help us we have to do this ourselves so that is like I think for Beth that's kind of like the character thing that clicks is it's not just that she needs the money but it's her her world perspective changes it changes from trusting that other people will take care of things to realizing I'm the only person that can solve this for myself yeah so then there's a brief little montage of them like prepping we see Beth and Ruby both going through the grocery store like as if they're shopping and they're kind of casing the place and like noting the location of security cameras we see Annie drawing out a a big map of the store and like she's kind of pointing things out to them of like where they need to go And then also Beth grabbing some toy guns from her kid's bedroom. So this is actually the first moment when we learn they weren't using real guns when they were robbing the store. They take toy guns and then she takes the ends like because they have those orange ends so that you know that they're not real guns. But then she like blacks them out with a Sharpie so Mm -hmm. that people in the robbery will think they're real guns. Again, it's kind of like a polite robbery. Like they need to have the guns so that people will listen to them, but they don't actually want to hurt anybody. They don't even want to try and get real guns to like threaten people. They're just like, we just need this appearance of guns so that we can take the money, but we don't actually want to hurt anyone or for anything to go wrong. So, okay, some some credit to that, (laughs) credit on that front. So then we flash forward back to the real robbery scene again. We see Ruby and Beth waiting outside with the hostages. They're just kind of like holding the guns, making sure nobody moves. But then Beth notes there's a little kid with a mother and the, the kid looks really scared. So she goes over and starts talking to the kid. Hey, how old are you? Do you watch Doc McStuffins? <laughs> and I'm like, girl, do you not remember you're in the middle of robbing this place? Oh my God. And then Ruby steps in and she's like trying to save it and she's like yeah we used to watch Doc McSuffins in the big house oh my god so yeah they're they're trying to keep things together down there but then we see in the back vault Annie's in there with Boomer yes this and- is where I wrote why would they send Annie to do yeah. this this, I wrote just, that down. There's no reason one of the other ones of them could not have done this step. There's no reason yeah. it had to it's be It's like Annie. all they had to do was follow him. It's like she yeah. didn't, you didn't need to know where it was. Yeah. So this is where I feel like they really were stupid. They could have planned better than this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Annie's like holding the gun, the fake gun on Boomer and telling him to like load the cash from the vault into a bag. And she's like, you're not doing it fast enough. She shoves him out of the way and starts loading the cash herself. And this is when she's bending over and he spots her tattoo. And so even like, again, I was like, he couldn't recognize her voice. She was not super disguising her voice. She's still very clearly a small woman with a similar frame as herself. Like if you knew her, it wouldn't be that hard to tell it's her anyway. Yeah. Then he sees the tattoo. So that's kind of like proof. And he, like, you can see he notes it, but he doesn't say anything yet. 
But then Ruby notices the security guard guy is coming back from his lunch break and he's about to come back to the store. And she's like, oh shit, we got to run. Her and Beth, they go grab Annie. They grab all the cash. They run from the store right as the security guard is like running to try and catch them. And he's also calling the police. But they are able to escape because poor Tyler, the security guard, he has asthma. And he starts having an asthma attack as he's chasing them down. Oh, he's a he's a sweet guy. He continues to be on the show and I enjoy him. So basically they get away. Yeah, almost it was close call, but they are able to get away with all the money. So then they're back in Beth's house and Beth and Ruby are like, oh, my God, we robbed a grocery store, but we got away with it. And they're kind of having a victory speech and Annie's counting the money and she goes, hey, um, we got we got 30 grand. And they're like, "Woo!" so is it like, is it exactly 30 grand? And then Annie's like, nope, there's a little bit more. And then she dumps out like six more bags of cash on top of the table. And so it turns out it was a lot more than what they thought. Yeah. Um, so there's another act break. So I guess maybe maybe we should pause and regroup. What what are you thinking at this point as someone who's seen us for the first time? I had the thought that one of them has like in the next scene, which is why does a grocery store have that much money? Mm-hmm. That was my thought. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think like... I mean, obviously I have seen this a few times, but trying to remember back to the first time I watched it, I remember my reaction at this point was being shocked that that they already had finished the robbery and it was successful because this is about yeah. halfway through the episode. Mm-hmm. So I was expecting when I jumped into this episode with this premise, I thought most of the episode would be about them robbing the store and then the end would be them finishing the robbery and then whatever consequences came with it. Yeah, but- I think I did. I think I did kind of, I did have that kind of thought, but just from like the general knowledge I have of the show, I knew there was a character missing, but I didn't know how he played in. So I was like, oh, well maybe he'll show up or something. Yeah. So I didn't really know what was going to happen, but like I was intrigued because first of all, I was like, well, what else is going to happen now if that was only half the episode? And also I think this pilot, one of the strengths of this pilot is that it's very well paced you never get bored. Like it shows you everything you need to know about these characters, but it's very snappy and a lot happens. There's a lot of plot and complications for just one episode that really hooks you in. I'm Um, very glad that they didn't extend the robbery to like throughout the entire episode. I think I would have gotten tired. Yeah, no, Um, I think it was really smart. I, I agree. I think that they were really, really smart in this pacing because like three moms rob a grocery store. It's like, that's a, that's a decent hook. But also if it didn't go any further than that, it would be a little bit boring. Um, yeah, but and then it's like, the what's the point of the rest out, of the show? Yeah, there's more complications that they're going to get to, um, and they don't they don't wait. You know, they don't drag their feet about getting to those complications. They don't wait for it to be in future episodes. They they dig into it. So we come back from the act break, and it's you know still the same scene. And basically, they start asking, "Why was there this much money at a grocery store?" It turns out that it's over five hundred thousand dollars, and all of them are oh like, God. "That is not normal." Uh, Ruby immediately says this is shady we need to get we need to not do anything with this money because this is clearly involved in something bad yeah Um, I like the moment where Annie was like we won and Ruby's like we didn't win anything we didn't win it we stole it she's like what this isn't winning (laughs) yeah because Annie's like well we already did the crime and we got way more money than we thought we would so like that's amazing But Ruby is pointing out, Ruby makes a very good point, which is part of the reason they thought that they would get away with this is because 30 grand from a grocery store would be covered by insurance. Cops might not follow up on it if there wasn't evidence. Mm -hmm. But $500,000 is probably going to be followed up on. That is a lot more money. So there's that. 
And Ruby also makes a very good point of we cannot spend this money because, or at least not much of it, because then that will immediately attract suspicion to us. How did we get all this money so fast? And like, if they're looking for people that stole 500 grand and we are spending 500 grand all of a sudden, it doesn't take a genius. (laughs) So basically Ruby says we need to divide this up and sit on it and like not spend it and just like wait it out and just try not to get caught they all agree that they're not going to spend any of it or like Annie they they're like Annie like we're not spending it okay and Annie's like fine fine okay like she finally agrees cut to very next scene Annie driving to pick Sadie up in a Porsche (laughs) I was like Annie (laughs) yeah this is where I'm like Annie I love she she is probably my favorite character as the show goes on I just I really enjoy Mae Whitman but in this pilot I'm like oh Annie Annie you're being so stupid (laughs) I was like, I was like, oh my God. It was like first, first being the one to walk into the back yeah. with Well, with that's Boomer. stupid. That's on all of them. Somebody that else could have told her that was stupid and stepped in. Um, but yeah. this is only on her. Buying the Porsche, yeah. that is solely on her. Oh my. Oh, I was <laughs> so upset. Up. She pulls up and then she picks up Sadie and Sadie's like, what the hell? Because she can tell that obviously this is not normal and it's not something that Annie could afford but then Annie's like check it out it's even better than Nancy's car it's got more features (laughs) and Sadie's kind of weirded out and then Annie's like look under your seat and she got like a new laptop for Sadie and Sadie's like how did you afford any of this because I think I forget how old Sadie's supposed to be I think like 13 or something but like not an idiot yeah (laughs) but then annie just replies who's the adult here who's the adult here don't question me which that seems to be her only comeback but also it's not a very good one because sadie is more adult than yeah i was like annie you are not really acting like an adult right now (laughs) so annie already violated their agreement also annie with a porsche seems very dangerous the way she was speeding and she should not have a car that powerful. <laughs> no. <laughs> then we see Beth. Beth is all kind of dressed up in like a trench coat. She goes to the dealership. She goes down to Bowen Motors and she finds Amber, who is employed there. And she goes into Amber and calls a meeting and basically says like, I know what you've been doing. I know you've been sleeping with, with Dean, whatever. She doesn't really take out any anger on her per se. She just says like, I don't blame you because you're obviously stupid you know, not knocking you. Everyone has different strengths, but you're a beautiful dummy. And she just (laughs) says that kind of flatly. And then she hands Amber an envelope with five grand in cash. And she says, you know, basically take this money and go to LA and (laughs) try and make your way at LA. And then Amber's like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing something nice for me? And Beth says, because we both deserve more than a liar in a pig suit. Me more than you, but still. And, and then Amber, said, Amber, she says, that's, that's the, the nicest, nicest thing anyone has ever, ever said, said to, me. to me. And then Beth is like, really? Wow. Which I literally went, oh man, like audibly. <laughs> I love that moment. And also that reminded me a little bit of the moment in the crazy ex-girlfriend pilot where, where Rebecca's like, oh, you ever have a good day? And Paula's like, no, I've never no. had a good day. And then Rebecca's like, oh, that's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Again, like, I also like this scene because I love how they spin it as, like, Beth's, like, yes, she's angry at Dean, like, obviously she is, but, like, it's not really about, when she finds out, it's not about some big, like, vengeance arc on Dean. It's about her taking control and, like, you know, taking control over her life from Dean. It's not about, like, 
you know making him miserable whatever like revenge for cheating it's about her gaining power yeah and it's also it's also her still recognizing that like he's the father of all her kids yeah um so it's like she can't completely get rid of him anyway like logically that she's being logical yeah um i'm sure it will not surprise you when i say this but as we've noted on many other tv shows uh viewers don't necessarily understand that same logic they're like oh my god why doesn't she just leave dean why doesn't she just kill him why doesn't she just do more crime all the time and it's like like, yes, like, I understand why you're saying those things, because that's the exciting part of the show, and the life with Dean, that seems like the boring part that's holding it back, but A, logic in the real world, like, she has kids with him, like, whether or not you care about the kids as a viewer, she does in her universe, so you should accept that, and also B, you need those boring parts of the show, the quote-unquote boring parts, to balance it out, like, if you took if you had this show, if you had good girls and like by the end of the first episode, Beth decided to leave her, leave her family and just say, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Or if you had Breaking Bad where, you know, first episode, Walt says like, screw my family. Like, I'm just going to do illegal stuff and whatever. And you like wrote them out of the show. It wouldn't be the same. You need that tension there um, yeah. between the status quo, the life that they have already. And then the new thing that's pulling them in. And I guess there is something to be said for sometimes it gets drawn out a little bit too long and maybe that's why viewers get fatigued, but it annoys me when people make that complaint as if it's like a no-brainer. Like, duh, obviously she should leave him. It's like, no, she had, there's a lot of factors at play. She has a yeah. house, she has children, and she does have a long-standing relationship with him, even if it's been bad. Like, they must have loved each other in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, um, she gets a good moment here where she kind of reclaims some power and then she starts driving off and somebody like she didn't go see dean but like then somebody one of the other workers like points out to dean on the lot that she's driving across the lot and like driving through all the decorations <laughs> knocking everything over she knocks down the this giant inflatable pig that he had because the whole the slogan of the dealership is something about like pigs flying and dean wears a pig suit in the commercial that's what she meant when she said um we deserve better than a liar in a pig suit so basically she gets this nice moment where she kind of wrecks the whole dealership and then drives off So that's a little catharsis for her. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we see Ruby and she's sitting in the waiting room, a very nice fancy looking waiting room with like fountains and nice upholstery. And it's not crowded. It's very peaceful. And then she gets called into a very, very nice doctor's office. And it's this nice uh, woman doctor, well-dressed. And she has this whole fancy office and Ruby and Sarah walk in and Ruby, you know, she starts, she starts talking, blah, 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 saying her whole pitch about she's done the research and she needs the drugs and she knows the cost. And then the doctor says, okay, hold on, take a breath. You know, you've, you've hardly taken a breath. It's okay. I can see that, you know, you're very passionate and I want to help you get all those things. We will get all those things for you. We'll, we'll get her started on those drugs. We'll run some other tests to make sure she's, we cover everything, but like you can relax. And then Ruby starts crying because this not only has this doctor listened to her, but like she's going to be able to get the care that she needs for her daughter. Yeah. And then she starts crying tears of gratitude. And then Sarah's like, oh my God, mom, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> what a child thing to do. Yeah. I think it's I think it's good that Sarah was in the scene because it might read as a little bit cheesy without that. But I think having that kind of takes the edge off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the doctor's like can I get you some cucumber infused water is that all right <laughs> and then and then Ruby's still crying and she's like can we get some lemon too 
<laughs> yeah, I think Red is so fantastic in that role. She balances the the drama and the comedy so well. So basically, we've seen all three of them have spent some of the money on different things. Ruby and Beth only really spent the money that they said they were going to get. Like yeah. they were spending from the little also, bit of thirty k off more the reasonable top. things. Yeah, to be honest. So they yeah. didn't buy a Porsche. So then we see Annie back at home at her apartment and she has a mountain of purchases around her. She bought phones, laptops, a bunch of shit. And then Boomer shows up at her house and he's like, oh, you forgot your paycheck. And then she takes it. And then he basically just confronts her about the robbery. He's like, "Uh, I know it was you because I saw your tramp stamp that says all you need is love. (laughs) Not like how many people have that? And she says it was a very popular slogan. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, he's like, I know that you did it, but I haven't said anything. And I, I'll help you out. I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll, I'll really try to keep my mouth shut. Except sometimes I get so lonely oh. and horny. <laughs> so basically, oh. he very unsubtly indicates that he would like sex from her in order to not turn her in. And Annie realizes she's in deep shit. Like, she has to do something. She can't let him turn her in so she basically is like okay um she concedes that this might be what she has to do and then there's this very uncomfortable scene because boomers like i want foreplay and they like start kissing and it's really weird and then uh annie gets down on her knees in front of him on the couch so you can see she's probably about to do something there but then uh Sadie appears Sadie comes out (laughs) from her bedroom and uh Annie's like oh my god I thought you were asleep I was helping him find some change in the couch (laughs) which you have to wonder like Sadie probably knows what was really happening she seems like a smart kid and it seems like obviously not this scenario with Boomer and like coercion but you get the sense of like Annie's probably had guys around the house before so yeah. um, she's like Sadie go back to bed and you know boomer you have to go now but then he's like well I, I'll be back soon because now I've got all this bus fare yeah is what he said <laughs> so basically she got saved by the bell saved by Sadie but now there's this threat of boomer lingering over her so that's pretty bad but then we go back to Beth's house and it's the next morning uh Beth greets Dean over breakfast and she basically says you need to give me all the accounts um I took care of the mortgage but you have to give me all the bank accounts all the credit cards all the pins all the passwords so she's taking control she's like I'm I'm taking everything from here on out you do not get control which pretty pretty fair after he ruined everything and she asks for the passwords and Dean says uh too fast too furious the number two and then the words like the movie and then that's like that's all of them Oh my god. And Dean knocks. So as if it not been hacked. Enough, as if it wasn't enough that he is terrible with money. He also had the same fucking password on everything. Have they not been hacked? I don't yeah. Well, maybe maybe they were hacked, but people saw they were in debt and there was nothing to take, so So yeah, Beth is basically like this thing that we've been doing is over. No more of you controlling everything and me being in the dark. I'm taking control and I will stay in the house with the kids and you will go to a motel. So she lays down the law. She's like, she's not like extra about it, but she's like, you have to leave and I'm going to take care of everything. Then the next scene, we see Ruby at home. Um, The TV is on and the news says something about, oh, there's no leads in this grocery store robbery. So that's 
It's kind of a good thing. Then Stan comes in and he comments, hey, isn't it kind of weird that we had this GoFundMe up for uh, Sarah for years and years, and then suddenly this anonymous donor comes in and gives us all the money we need? Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, to us, it sounds very obvious. But, like, that's actually, I was like, that's clever of Ruby. That's yeah. a good way to get her access to the money without it bringing in obvious suspicion so I was like yeah, that was damn, very smart. damn girl yeah that was smart so yeah apparently she took all the money she got or as much money as they needed for Sarah's medical care and like donated it anonymously to themselves so honestly yeah pretty clever so Stan's like hey that's that's cool and weird <laughs> but he's happy and then they are watching their kids like playing together they also have another a young son in addition to Sarah and they're like wrestling on the ground and they're like oh she has some energy again that's really yeah. nice so it's like oh this is what's at stake for them is like their child's life and their child's mm-hmm. well-being so that's pretty important then uh Beth comes home at the end of the day and she's just kind of walked into the house and then she hears a voice there is a stranger in her house who it looks like a gang man he is well he has a very obvious neck tattoo so that's yeah. That's not always a great sign. Um, this is the character I was waiting for. Yes. <laughs> so she walks in the kitchen and this guy is there and he's like, oh, you're finally home. Uh, he also has two other guys that are kind of hanging out behind him that also look a little bit scary, but he's clearly the leader. And he says, uh, hey, call up your lady friends because we need to talk about the money you stole from us. That's the end of the act there. And that's a, a good hook because it's like, oh, turns out there was a reason that there was a lot of money in that grocery store and it was shady, just as Ruby predicted. <laughs> um, so yes, this is the other main character of the show. Um, as, as you may have seen in promotions, if you've seen any promotions for the show, they don't actually say his name for a long time. It's like deep into season one that they actually learn his name. Yeah, but, um, I like know it. Yeah, his but... name is Rio. Uh, uh-huh. Again, if you've seen any promotions, you probably have seen his name. It's not like a spoiler or anything. It doesn't really yeah. matter. It's just like, they actually don't learn his name for a while. In fact, Annie calls him gang friend for most of season one because <laughs> they just realize like, hey, we never actually learned the name of this guy that's been threatening us. So when we pick up again in act four, Beth has called Ruby and Annie over because because Rio requested it. He wanted to speak to the lady friends. And then Rio's kind of poking around in the kitchen and he's admiring Beth's kitchen. He's like, oh, is this marble? Marble, marble backsplash? Like you don't get any corrosion with that or anything? And he's- That was funny. I yeah. enjoyed this. I, Rio's very enjoyable. He has a lot of interests and he also, he has a lot of other things he likes to talk about while he's doing business. Um, I love that for him. Yeah. Also, Rio is played by uh, Manny Montana, who had been on a handful of other TV shows before this, most notably on Graceland. He had a, a regular role on that show. And he's, how do I put this delicately? He has attracted a lot of praise on this show, specifically because of the way he portrays Rio. It's very, something about it is like, he's just so like scary, but also doesn't care that it's very attractive to people that are attracted to men. Yeah. I was about to say, I was like, I feel like he's, he's, he seems kind of hot in this. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> like as you watch more, like I honestly, I don't know that I know anybody who's attracted to men and does not think he's hot. Also, I know some people that are not attracted to men and still think he's hot. <laughs> he's just it's like I hate to use this phrase but it's kind of like animal magnetism it's something about him and this character it's like he just literally doesn't care and like he just exudes power and it's like whoa it's um it's something Um, so kudos to Manny Montana on that anyway so he's just kind of like poking around Beth's kitchen you know very casual like he lives there 
And then Ruby starts apologizing. She kind of jumps in. She's like, I'm so sorry. We didn't know that you own the store, that it was your money. But then he explains like, no, I don't know. You think I'm a grocery store owner? No, I just, I have an arrangement with the local businesses. So Ruby's like, oh, okay. You were money laundering. I get it. That makes sense. So he's like, yeah, you guys need to pay me back. I need all of that money back because you stole it from me. And Annie's like, oh yeah, we can get most of it back. Uh, And then she's like, we all, we all spent some, right? And they're like, yeah, we spent a little bit. How much did you spend? And it turns out Annie spent a hundred grand. Oh my God. Which is like, wow. I mean, the Porsche was probably most of that, but still. (laughs) And so they're pissed at her, understandably. But Rio's like, look, I don't give a shit about any of this. You're just going to get me my money back quickly with interest. And he doesn't even have to give a threat because it's just kind of implied. They got to do what he says. And also, like, as he leaves, he makes another comment. He's like, hey, you know, that that marble countertop, you're going to have to be careful if you have any citrus or acids. It's going to (laughs) erode. And it's just, like, so, it's so unexpected. And he's so, like... The other thing about him that's like weirdly entertaining but also attractive is like everything he says he delivers in the exact same tone. Whether he's talking about marble countertops or whether he's talking about like, if you don't get me my money, I will kill you. He has the exact same affect and tone while he delivers all of it. And he also like pivots between subjects very quickly. So it's just very, it's very interesting manner that he has. Very, the kind of like Adamy from like yeah. sex education, his like one yeah. tone. Oh, yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, mm-hmm. I can see that. And I feel like it's also kind of a power move. It's like he knows where the conversation's going, but you don't know where the conversation's going. Yeah, he's in control. Yeah, yeah. So after that, we see Beth taking all the kids and ushering them to the motel with Dean. And the kids are like, why are we going? Why are we staying with daddy? Why is daddy staying in a hotel? Why are we going with him? And she's like, don't ask any questions. Just have candy for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And and she just drops them all with Dean. And he's like, okay, why are they here? And also I can't have all the kids in this tiny motel room. And Beth's like, I can't, I can't tell you what's going on. Just take them and just don't go outside and don't go back to the house. And because she's freaking out. She's like, there was a gang leader in our house and he's yeah. gonna kill me if I don't get the money so I should get my kids out of the house which that's a good good call that's fair yeah good mm-hmm. call on that so yeah now they need to try and get all the money back or else they will die so we see Annie picking up Sadie and uh she's back in the old crappy car from before she sold the Porsche which is good but Sadie is actually kind of relieved and um, she's acting all sweet. She like acts all excited about the car. She's like, oh, like roll up windows, cassette player. That's so cool. And like just a good kid, like being a good sport, doesn't want just fancy things, just wants like regular life. Yeah. Um, just a, a good kid, a good egg. And then we see Ruby at home and uh, she checks in on Sarah who's sleeping. And then she hears a noise in the other room and she gets scared because like, <laughs> is this the the gang leader that threatened us today so she yeah. has like a little toy bat and she goes towards the back door where the sound came from and it turns out it's just stan luckily yeah and she's like oh my god don't make noises in the night and come in all scary like that and also like you need to fix the gate and get an alarm system and like she's all very scared about security all of a sudden and stan's like okay like he doesn't know why she's so scared because he doesn't yeah know that there's the gang threatening her 
but he's like guess what i have some good news and then he shows her he's been accepted into the police academy and he didn't tell her that he applied because he was nervous that he wouldn't get in but he is a mall cop currently that's his job (laughs) but he's been wanting to be a police officer and he finally got accepted into the academy and he's like oh this is good news right and yeah ruby's like happy for him but there's a little bit of tension there because considering that she has currently uh, committed a crime and is in the yeah. midst of trying to cover that up, that's a little bit of tension for the future um, between them. And also, I flag this is also similar to Breaking Bad because having like a cop or a law enforcement figure within the family unit, um, yeah. it has added pressure on the person who's trying to balance their crime and family life. And in this case, I would say it's even more so than in Breaking Bad because in Breaking Bad, Walt doesn't really like Hank. Like yeah. he's, he has to live with him because they're family, but they're, it doesn't seem like they're super duper close. But here it's Ruby's husband. And like, so not only does she not want to get caught, obviously, but I think she also, I think, I know she also cares about what her husband thinks. Yeah. So like, it's also more of an emotional thing at stake besides just being caught. It's like, if my husband has to arrest me, and my husband knows I did something wrong, that is a lot more terrible than I think Walt would feel mm-hmm. if Hank caught him. So yeah, so that's a lot of tension for like, oh my God, how's that going to play out? Yeah. And then, then we see them all back at Annie's and they're basically t- uh, totaling up all the money that they got back and they got a bunch of it, but they're still short by over 60 grand because mainly because Annie sold back the car, but cars, new cars lose half their value as soon as you drive them off the lot. So also a PSA for anybody out there, don't buy new cars unless you're like really rich and have money to throw away. Buy used cars. Also don't buy Porsches. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Annie didn't think that one through, but they're still short by over $60,000 and they need to figure out what they're going to do because they can't go back to the gang without all the money that is not a thing that you do so ruby says hey let's go to the police because we've done one robbery which is not great but it's better than getting killed by a gang and they could protect us from the gang we might get in trouble but you know it's we haven't done that much yet but the rest of them are like well we're still gonna get arrested so that's not great I did briefly flag this as I did wonder to myself, would the black woman really suggest, even if she is the voice of reason, that they should go to the police? Yeah, that is something, as the show goes on, it's interesting. It's just something I've noticed and thought about the way they handle race in this show is interesting, given that, I mean, they're all doing crime the whole time. Yeah. Um, But it's also, it's the Black family where um, Ruby is usually the most reluctant to do more criminal things in general because she's also just kind of that voice of reason. She thinks about the consequences. Um, And also Stan is, well, he becomes a cop, as you can probably tell, you know, that's where the show is going. And so that tension also becomes that he's a cop and he also, at least the way it's framed in the show, is that he very much like wants to do good and like be a good cop and he cares about like morality and and catching the bad guys, which it's interesting. And it doesn't get actually there are there are a couple of times when they kind of address it, but like not super head on. Also because one of the main this I, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but also not really. One of the main figures that is kind of investigating them um, throughout season one is an FBI agent, and he is also Black. And there's some interesting scenes there between Stan and him and, like, 
they like kind of touch on it, but then they also just kind of ignore it in other scenes. So mm. that was something I was thinking about a lot as I rewatched it. It's just like, hmm. But yeah, it's like Ruby thinks, or at least she thinks that's the best option. I mean, I suppose as a, as opposed to getting killed by a gang. Yeah, maybe, I like there but, aren't really any good options in yeah. this scenario, but I did flag that one. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Um, so that's that's her best suggestion that she can see at the moment. Annie's best suggestion that she can see is to rob someplace else to pay the gang back. <laughs> Again, oh we can see Annie's very short-sighted. She's like, come on, like that's the best solution. <laughs> Obviously. Mm-hmm. Beth is like, no, I don't think either of those is a good idea. And I mean, truthfully, there's no good solutions yeah. here. So you can't fault them for for trying to come up with something. But yeah. So they're kind of they're kind of in a pickle, but Beth is like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna find a way. We don't know yet, but we're gonna find a way to pay this back. Uh, we're gonna get the money somehow because I once made three hundred cupcakes in one night that were nut and gluten free. <laughs> That's her like badass. Like I can do anything. Yeah, and but then Annie is like, well, that kid still had an allergy attack. <laughs> Honestly, if the kid's that allergic to something. I'm sorry, it's just a survival of the fittest. So yeah, then they're like, we'll, f- we'll figure it out somehow, um, but they're still kind of in deep shit. So then Ruby goes home. Beth goes to take a shower because she's staying over at Annie's. The, the gang knows where she lives, so it yeah. doesn't seem great to be alone in her house right now. So she goes to take a shower, um, and then Boomer comes back. Um, basically, he's like, I'm back to get the thing that we talked about. And then basically, uh, Annie was going to sleep with him but then she says that her sister is right 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 yeah she basically says it's not a good time like she because she had kind of made up her mind of like she might have to do this Mm -hmm. in order to you know get turned in but she's like my sister's here so like not not now but then he does not take no for an answer he basically starts forcing her physically and then she starts fighting back she like hits him and tries to get away and then he gets really pissed off and like basically starts physically attacking her so it's pretty scary it's making they're making a lot of noise and a lot of commotion and then beth is in the shower and she hears she hears some noise and some screaming from outside also like boomer like obviously he's a repulsive person but he's also stupid she said my sister is here so why does he think that's a good idea to physically attack her i don't but there's someone else there questions (laughs) yeah well he's not very smart so yeah, he's like physically attacking her and then Beth comes out of the shower. She's got a towel on and she pulls out, she has a gun and she aims it at him and she's like, get off of my sister, go, like, you need to leave right now. She gives this little speech. She gives this really like angry speech about like, you men think that you can just do whatever you want and get away with it, but there are consequences or something like that. This was another moment that I flagged as like, ooh, specifically with this framing, this rubs me a little bit the wrong way. I also flagged this speech. Um, it's not just about men versus women. It's a very uh, white white feminism thing to make it seem like every issue just boils down to men versus women and women are the ultimate oppressed group. So there was shades of that. Um, but I do kind of like, because she makes this speech that's all badass, but then it gets undercut because <laughs> Boomer just walks up to her and he's like, is that a toy gun? Oh my because God. Especially the way it's shot. I actually really like the way they shot this because they have Beth kind of holding the gun and it's in the foreground and it's a little bit blurry because it's focused on her face and the gun's in the foreground. And like, as she's making this speech, I, the first time I was watching it, I was like, hey, you can kind of see the orange 
yeah that gun but it's not really in focus I was like did they make a mistake like did they not notice that but mm-hmm. it was not a mistake it's actually part of the scene so like we start to notice it while she's talking the same way that Boomer starts to notice it so then he's just like yeah that's I think that's a toy gun and she's like no it's not he's like <laughs> shoot me yeah, he, go- he says go ahead and shoot me and then he walks forward and he takes the gun in his mouth and she obviously can't shoot him because it's a toy gun and then he like spits it out and then it's very obviously orange on the end and he just starts laughing he's like oh my god you dumb bitches like you don't even have a real gun like this is so stupid I'm leaving and I'm gonna turn you into the cops so he's just basically ready to walk away and they're like oh my god like we he's about to turn us in we got to do something so Beth then grabs a bottle of whiskey off of the table and she runs and she clobbers him in the head with it and another thing that I like was on tv you would expect oh you hit him in the head and then he he goes out like usually that's what happens but that's not really what happens in real life you don't immediately collapse from one blow on the head most of the time unless it's really huge blow so he just goes hey ow like (laughs) it just hurt but he's like still conscious and fine and then he like attacks her again he's like you attacked me so he like charges at her but then he trips and falls into the glass coffee table and that breaks and then that knocks him out (laughs) and he's bleeding and he looks possibly dead yeah Um, and then uh so that's kind of an well it's good because he isn't gonna go to the police but it's bad because there's a possibly dead man in their living room and then yeah, and if he's like, not dead then they've just yeah. assaulted him which is also bad yeah <laughs> um and then they're like what are we gonna do and annie's like well we can't go to the police <laughs> and that's the end of the episode <laughs> so this pilot i guess yeah we can talk about some strengths and some maybe weaknesses of this pilot i think one of the biggest strengths is a lot happens it's really good pacing it keeps you on the hook and every time every time you think like they could back out or they could back off from this, it kind of throws another problem at you. So like they have to go in deeper. So I think that's good. And it definitely ends on a hook. Like this is kind of a, not a cliffhanger per se, but like the, their problems are not resolved in any sense at this point. Yeah. They just have a lot of problems right now. So I very much wanted to keep watching of like, how are they going to fix this? Yeah. I also had that thing where I was like, oh, well, I'm not sure if he's actually dead because I wasn't completely sure that that blow to the head would kill him. I mean, like, I know there was glass and he was like bleeding a lot, but I was, I was like not convinced that he was Mm -hmm. dead. So I was like, well, that's gonna, if that's the case, that leaves like a whole slew of other problems on top of the other, the problems that they already had. Yeah. Um, I guess I can say here, um, I mean, because as soon as you start the next episode, you would know that he's not dead. Okay, yeah. Uh, He is not dead, but um, in the original draft of the pilot, she had written it so that he was dead, definitively dead at the end of the pilot. But actually, they elected not to do that because they realized just like David Hornsby is like really funny and good in that role. (laughs) So they wanted to use him more. Um, And I think it was the right call also because I guess I can circle back into another quote that I found. They basically also realized that having them kill somebody, whether it was directly or indirectly, that might have been a little bit much for the pilot because they were walking the line of 
how much can they do and still feel like good people. In fact, here's a really relevant quote um, from Jenna Bands. She said, they are not Walter White from Breaking Bad. <laughs> she just cut out that <laughs> comparison right away. She does not want them to be seen like Walter White. She said, I think these women are good people and they have strong moral centers and they are still mothers and taking care of their families and their lives. And so I think the conflict in the show for us comes from them still struggling to be good people while they are in these heightened situations and they've broken the law and gotten themselves in hot water. Like you can rob a grocery store and still be a good person in their minds, but can you rob 10 grocery stores and still be a good person? Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of tension as the show goes on. It's kind of about this question of like, they have to do more and more things to try and keep themselves out of trouble, but like, where do they draw the line? Yeah. Um, and this show is different from Breaking Bad and that that show is very much about transformation, about a character getting worse and crossing lines. Whereas this show is a little bit, I mean, it is serialized, but it also feels like it has a little bit of that kind of network show status quo to it of like, they do more and more things, but also they try and they keep trying to get back to normal. They keep trying to be good people, even mm -hmm. as they're pushed into more things. So that's why it is kind of fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think if they had killed somebody in the pilot, I mean, Walter White does kill somebody in the pilot, actually. Yeah. But yeah, so so that's why they they made that change. I also wanted to know more about Rio, because again, like, I feel like if you've seen any of the marketing for the show, like, Rio's pretty heavily in he's the marketing. He's all over the place. Because he's a very important character on the show. So if, if you've seen any of that, you're probably thinking like, hey, I want to know more about this guy. And also the one scene he's in, he's kind of a compelling character. So that was also like... I wanted to just watch more to find out more about him. Yeah, I agree. I, cause I thought he, it was so funny. The thing he was just so chill as he was mm -hmm. trying to get his money back, you know, admiring Beth's kitchen, which I thought was, I thought that was fun. I definitely want to know more about him. I think it's interesting the way that they've set these three people up in their mm -hmm. lives and to see how this crime that they have committed now affects their relationships with the other people in their lives especially because they're all they're all like fairly different because like yeah. Beth's Beth's kind of on the outs with her husband mm -hmm. but they've got their four kids so they're not completely on the outs yeah and then like Ruby and Stan seem like pretty pretty on pretty solid ground mm -hmm. but also now he's gonna go be police oh yeah um, it's so stressful because like they clearly have the best marriage and the best family unit out of any of them but it's like you have this looming thing of like once this comes to light it's going to cause trouble in their marriage yeah. and it's so hard to watch because you just want to, them to be happy Ugh. yeah and then Annie it's like I feel like Annie's got two people that could really mm. be like, ooh, something's up with you. Because she's got Sadie, who very clearly knows what's going on. Sadie's mm. not stupid. And then Greg, yeah. her ex, who also, like, isn't in her life as much. Like, probably just as much as they need to be in each other's lives yeah. because they have a child together. But it seems like from that one scene he was in, it seems like he knows her super well. Yeah. And is also probably not an idiot. Yeah. And then again, like there's this custody thing going on. And part of the problem is that she's not necessarily a reliable parent. So mm -hmm. once she starts, like she gets into this whole crime thing because she wants to try and keep Sadie because she needs the money. But also the more she's doing these things, the harder it becomes to convince other people that she is a responsible parent because she's getting yeah. into more and more trouble. So it's like, it's, it's one of those scenarios where the more you dig yourself in, you know, the deeper you go, you just keep digging yourself deeper. 
I liked the show immediately and also like rewatching it. One of the biggest strengths of the show for me is I think all three of the lead actors are really strong. And I mm-hmm. think I really like all of their characters and I like their relationships with each other. I really yeah. love their friendship, um, the three of them. Basically when casting them, um, they really found that as a strength. The The friend chemistry between the three of them, apparently they are pretty friendly, good friends in real life. And so that helps bleed through. And they also just try and write towards the strengths of the individual actors. I feel like you can see it even more so as the show goes on. Like they really give them each the kind of scenes that they really excel at. Like, Rutta gets a lot of, like, blending the drama and the comedy because um, she's so good at, at blending those together. Mae Whitman for Annie, they just write a lot of, like, really ridiculous, like, disaster-type scenes because she's really good at selling that persona. And then for Beth and Christina Hendricks, they lean into a lot of these storylines about, like, her reclaiming her own power, having kind of, like, these badass moments, but also juxtaposed with her, like, being a housewife and doing these very mundane housewife things, which she pulls off really well. So I think that's also very strong because they're all so distinct, but they Mm -hmm. also feel like they work as a unit. That's one of the strengths of the show. And then like, I guess potential, potential weaknesses. I think it's pretty clear that watching this now and really tracking those white feminism moments, it's in this pilot, it's a little bit (laughs) Yeah, that's at like, times. that's really the thing that gave me pause when watching this slash made me kind of go, do, would I want to continue this? Yeah, honestly, because like, if, if it's gonna like, if that sort of thing's gonna keep happening, I feel like that would grate on my nerves. Yeah. Um, I don't so. know that I, I don't know that it, I could say it totally goes away, but I, it definitely is not as present as it is in this pilot. Like, because okay. when I was watching this pilot, I was like, Oh, my God, was it always like that? So it's definitely less so. Like I said, the way that they handle, the, the way that they choose to address or like not address race a lot of the time also gets me thinking sometimes. Yeah, I mean, as a white person, I my opinion on that is not going to be as informed or as valid, but that was something I was watching for as I watched the rest of the show. But definitely like the the heavy-handed like girl power type stuff goes away a lot as the show goes on it just it just transforms into them just like living their lives and like trying to do the thing trying to get out of the trouble they don't lean on that um, as heavily anymore which uh yeah okay that's good to know because if it were like that for the rest I don't think I could continue (laughs) yeah I mean frankly same but yeah it's also interesting to see sometimes how some shows like sometimes there's weird things in the pilots or in the early seasons that they learn from and then they gravitate away from those things. I'm actually like thinking I haven't watched all of this show. Um, I'm th- This is reminding mm-hmm. me of something that happened with The Bold Type, which airs on like Freeform. But apparently, so like it's about like these like three mm-hmm. friends that work at a fashion magazine in New York and like it did have a lot of those like white feminism moments mm-hmm. and there, but there's like a character who's black and I feel like there was a lot of criticism in like the first couple of seasons for some moments where they have mm-hmm. this black character saying things that just seem unrealistically not mm-hmm. how a black woman would necessarily go about the world and I think mm-hmm. and they were like called on those critiques and then I think they like took time to go back and fix them yeah. I don't super know the whole thing it sounds like they tried to take the advice into account and I'm not necessarily sure how good a job they did of it I like wasn't super following that I like watched a couple of episodes and it was I like was I don't think I was that into it yeah I mean I think white creators would 
kind of the bare minimum you should do is listen when people of color or people from different experiences say like, hey, this is not accurate to our experiences and it's kind of offensive. It's kind of the bare minimum you can do is to just listen when somebody says that. Yeah. Um, and yet so many people do not. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> should always talk about these things, you know, not shy away from criticizing them. I feel like people... A lot of people are like, oh, like, so annoying being, like, critical. Why do you always have to be critical of media? Why do you always have to point out everything that's, like, problematic or whatever? And it's like, well, A, it's, it's important. Yeah. Um, but also, like, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy some other aspects of it. I think all of us have things that, stories that have some problematic aspects that you can recognize while also enjoying some other parts of it. It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be one there's one flaw and then you throw out the whole thing but you have to have the conversation you also can't just ignore it yeah like for example next week we're going to talk about Bridgerton Mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed but I still took like issue with uh, the way some of the things were portrayed and of course of course I'm going to talk about that yeah but I that doesn't mean I didn't like it yeah and that's what that's the important having the conversation is the important part because that's what you learn from like you have to it's not it's not going to work to either just throw out the whole thing without really engaging in conversation, but it's also not going to work to ignore it and yeah. to give it a pass. You have to have the actual conversation and dig into it so that hopefully we can learn from it and then make future media better for everybody. Yeah. Also just hire more people of color and yeah, that's actually writers something I'm interested in now for Good Girls. I think I'll look into it after this as I'm curious about what the breakdown of the writing the writers room is like because yeah. obviously this pilot was written by Jenna Bands and she is a white woman. Um but I'm curious if potentially maybe what helped things get better in future episodes is maybe per- perhaps the writing team was not entirely white women. I'm guessing slash hoping, although I actually, I don't know, so I could be wrong. I hope I don't look it up and then find out that it's all white people. That would make me disappointed in them, but perhaps that is what helped it get better is when she had other perspectives added in to a writing mm-hmm. team. So, but yes, that's definitely um, very important because you're going to have blind spots. People have blind spots, but like you have to take account for that and make an actual effort to get other voices and not just continue to operate with those blind spots Mm -hmm. anything else about like strengths or weaknesses you found in this pilot it made me interested in all of the characters honestly Mm -hmm. even like the more repulsive ones yes which I feel like Sometimes there's like that weird line when you have like a creepy person or like a gross person that you don't Mm want to like hear from them. Yeah. But like, I feel like with this, like, for example, with Dean, I like, yeah, I want to know more about him still. I'm like not completely (laughs) turned off by him. I don't know. I guess it's partially because clearly Beth still cares about him in like the sense that he's the father of her children. So like, of course, like the thing we mm-hmm. talked about earlier, of course, she's not just going to immediately leave him. That's not really yeah. necessarily how that works. I feel like even though I don't like him, I am interested in learning more about him, which I feel like is hard to do. I was about to call him Rickety Cricket. Boomer's just <laughs> gross. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't not see it. But yeah, I think Boomer is also... Because David Hornsby, he's such an interesting actor because, like, he actually is kind of, like, seems like a clean-cut nice guy, but he's also yeah. so good at playing a repulsive character because mm-hmm. it kind of just balances out, like, I something about it balances out that, like, you still, 
like you hate him but you also want to see he's more like how like are a, you this repulsive he's got he's got such like a normal looking face yeah and then like his the, oh. everything i've seen him and his characters are so ugh. i think they made the right call in not killing him off in the pilot because some uh compelling plots happen with him throughout the first season yeah yeah i feel like even though he's super gross i'm like i do want to learn a little bit more about him mm-hmm. i feel like that's one of those things where it's like i do wonder why are you the way that you are oh they actually they do get into a little bit of why he is the way that he is he does get a good amount of backstory actually but, i just yeah. want to learn more about everyone honestly yeah. which is i feel like that's not always the case with shows that i'm watching it's like they're usually a specific few characters that I'm going to tune in for but for this one even if I don't like them I'm interested to know more yeah yeah I would agree I think also throughout this it's very strong actors actors who are really well cast very smart use of each of the actors there's also a few more like guest characters that come in later that I can't mention because I don't want to spoil it for you but there's some very strong guest performances as well so I think they yeah they make very good use of everyone they have also I I'm like thinking back over like the plots of like season one and more now that I've recently rewatched it. I feel like the first couple of episodes do like have that little like girl power premise a little bit at first, but it starts to wane after a few episodes and just get more into like interesting plot. Like as more of their actions pile up and have more consequences, it moves away from that tone and it just becomes more about like, oh, oh, we're in shit now. We have to how do we get out of this? And that, I think that's where it gets more interesting for me. So yeah, I I would encourage like to keep trying it because I think it does get better as it goes on. But yeah, this show, it's not particularly, I mean, like it's, it's decently popular enough on network to like be renewed. It's about to have its fourth season. So like it's popular enough in that sense, but it's out of the shows that we've talked about. It's like not really, it hasn't gotten any critical acclaim. It's like, honestly, like the reviews were kind of mixed. I think this is maybe not quite on a tier of some of the others that we've talked about where it's like oh my god perfect storytelling you have to admire it but it's kind of a I would say this is a show that like kind of knows what demographic it's trying to appeal to and is pretty good at that um and is like fundamentally entertaining television um even if it's not flawless yeah that makes sense Oh, okay. So there's uh, just one other one other quote that I did find um, because I mentioned at the beginning how Jenna Bands, a lot of her writing experience has come from Shondaland shows. So I found a little quote from her about what she had learned from Shonda, from working with Shonda Rhimes herself. And she said that she learned uh, about never shying away from telling the boldest, co- most controversial stories. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the writer's room with Shonda, whether it ended up successful or not. She pitched something that was so unexpected and so surprising that 90% of the writers in the room, myself included, would go, whoa, that's too far. Uh, it's fearless storytelling and she's the queen of it. So yeah, that's kind of a perspective on Shonda's shows. And so I was kind of thinking about after I looked this up, I was trying to like compare in my head and see how similar this pilot felt to any of the the Shonda pilots that we had talked about. But honestly, I didn't see many similarities. Yeah. It feels very much like its own thing. Yeah. Because I know that we were, I know that when we did have a getaway with murder, which wasn't written by Shonda herself, but was written by someone who like learned from her, mm-hmm. it did feel very similar in the sense that mm-hmm. it kind of followed that same little format. Yeah. Um, but this but feels also- very... I mean, it's a different type of show. It's not really yeah. focused on like a work group 
it's not mm-hmm. got that same format of like the new person coming into the work scenario. So it is very different in that. I would say structurally, it is more similar to the Breaking Bad pilot. Yeah. Actually, structurally, it's very similar to Breaking Bad, except for the fact that it has three protagonists instead of one. Yeah. Because it starts with a flash forward mm-hmm. of them kind of in the midst of of their crime thing that they're doing. And then it flashes back to show us the circumstances, um, the emotional circumstances and the financial circumstances that led each of them to determine this was their best option. Um, so yeah, actually structurally, it does follow a similar pattern to Breaking Bad, except it's less, uh, I mean, it's split a bit between three characters and it's also more of a, this is also, this is a comedy drama um, yeah. rather than Breaking Bad, which is pretty much serious. So that's another thing I do enjoy about this show as it goes on, like the plots are interesting, like it gets into some high stakes plots, but it's also, it stays on the comedy side as well. So it's a little bit, camp isn't the right word, but I think this show, even though it is a drama at times and like it explores consequences, it also knows that it's a little bit ridiculous. So that also helps me forgive some of the moments that are like stretch believability a little bit more like I've seen some criticisms of this show that's like oh it's not believable and I'm like okay it's like okay it's about three moms robbing a grocery store and getting away with it and getting in with the gang like yeah okay that's not super common that's not super believable but that's not why I'm watching I'm watching because it's interesting Mm -hmm. and because it's going to be funny so yeah so for me that tends to make it still entertaining for me even when it stretches the limits of belief Mm mm-hmm it's a good example of, I think Jenna Bands knew the demographic she was writing for, uh, women, you know, young to middle-aged women, primarily white women, um, who are maybe looking for an escape from a status quo, um, who, who are looking for, you know, imagining what they could do if they didn't have to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it caters to that demographic. So, you know, that's successful TV is if you have a story that somebody wants to hear and then you're able to tell it to those people thanks for listening we want to hear from you now if you have any thoughts about the good girls pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch you can email us at it's in my pod at gmail.com and if you would like to prepare for the next episode discussion with us the next pilot we will be watching is bridgerton so go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next week. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InMyQPod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.